welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a culture and conversation podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the absolute pleasure of speaking to author Flora Ahn about her book, A Spoonful of Time. Uh, here is a little bit about the book. Now, growing up, author Flora Ahn felt a strong connection to her Korean-American heritage, especially when eating her mother's home-cooked dishes. Drawing inspiration from shared family meals and her father's storytelling, Ahn's newest novel is packed with shocking family secrets, delicious Korean recipes, and the magic of time travel. Perfect for fans of When You Reach Me and Love Sugar Magic, A Spoonful of Time is interspersed with seven family recipes with annotations from Maya that readers can make themselves while Ahn's timeless story of family, memory, and identity will resonate with readers of all ages. I can confirm this book is incredible. It was an absolutely wonderful read. And yes, the recipes are absolutely delicious. Flora and I get into a ton of conversations about representation in media. We talk about her uh, decision to write the book, what it means to her to have this connection to, uh, for Maya, the character in the book, to have a connection to her ancestors in the same way that Flora had a connection to her family when she was talking to them about their stories. It's an incredible conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. But first, I want to let you know that today's episode of the podcast is brought to you by Empire Toys. Nostalgia is something everyone loves, and Empire Toys in Keller, Texas is on Nostalgia Overload. With toys and action figures from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and today, Empire Toys is a one-stop shop for a trip down memory lane and a chance to reclaim what was once yours but likely sold at a garage sale. Check out Empire Toys on Facebook, Instagram, or at TheEmpireToys.com. And by Self Unbound, your quality of life, physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, is a direct reflection of the level of abundant energy, ease, and connection your nervous system has to experience your life. At Self Unbound, your nervous system takes center stage as we help unbind your limited healing potential through network spinal care. Access the first steps to your Unbound journey by following us on Facebook, Instagram, or at www.selfunbound.com. Now, without further ado, my episode with Flora is right up after this. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time, I'm very excited to speak to her. She is author extraordinaire and is, I have to say, probably the only author that I've spoken to who has actively made me hungry while I am reading a book. Flora on. Flora, how are you doing today? Great. Great. Thanks. I'm glad to be on your uh, podcast. I, uh, you know, we're going to get into uh, the, the food of it all uh, here <laughs> momentarily, uh, but there is uh, so many, uh, there's so much goodness within the book, uh, your book, A Spoonful of Time, and I'm excited to dig into it. I've got a lot of questions, but before we even get into that, um, let me go ahead and uh, start us here. So for those that are new listeners to the Detox Podcast, uh, we invite you to quote-unquote detox from the world around you, get a window into how other people live their lives. And so I like to ask my guests right at the start of the episode, uh, and I'll, Flora, I'll, I'll position this to you as well. Uh, what are you currently, I'm using air quotes here, detoxing from? Um, well, I guess I, I recently had a, a book deadline that I'm detoxing from, and uh, so that's uh, looking at it from a, a long perspective. And then today I'm detoxing from the end of a work day. Yeah. <laughs> so it's <laughs> been a long day of meetings and yes. uh, reviewing documents and, and such. So, um, you know, working from home, but still working. Um, so, you know, glad to have that, that part of the day done. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I'm, I appreciate um, somebody who, uh, sort of has uh, project deadlines, like in your case, right, a, a book deadline that you're trying to meet. And then in addition to the book deadline, you've got sort of a day-to-day -day job with different meetings and documents and, and things you got to review. So you've got um, competing priorities and you've got sort of on the grid of um, urgent and important all the way down to like not urgent, not important. I forget what it's called, right? But it's the the four, the four square grid. Mm -hmm. um, 
you've got you've got to sort of kind of move the pieces around like what what's taking priority at a different point. And I feel I completely uh, understand uh, from right, right. from that perspective. So I appreciate it because there are times where it feels like, ooh, uh, I could get a lot of not urgent, not imp- ur- not urgent and important stuff done. However, then I've got sort of this urgent thing that crops up last minute and it's it's kind of trying to organize and orient. So I, I, I feel like I am daily trying to detox from from that <laughs> habit. <laughs> can relate. I can definitely relate. <laughs> right. So before we get into uh, a spoonful of time, let me start a little bit with your background. I really would love to for ha- for you to walk me through sort of your your origins into deciding to become an author, what that journey was like for you, and then how it ultimately led to you uh, writing Mm -hmm. A Spoonful of Time. And then I'll ask some more questions at that point. Sure, sure. So yeah, no, um, you know, I was always interested in writing and drawing when I was little. um, And I I love to make up stories. Um, I was very bad at finishing them, but I I would start (laughs) a bunch of them. And, And I would, you know, draw, I would do illustrations for the stories as I was writing them. And then, you know, once I hit like middle school, high school, then college, you know, all all my academics started taking priority and um, those kind of fell to the wayside until I was at post law school. I was working, um, you know, a a job and I had uh, free time and I thought, well, what do I want to do now? I had no no hobbies at that point because I'd been working so hard to get through school. Sure. Um, and, And my the first job I had took up so much of my time, you know, evenings and weekends. So I didn't really have time to to do anything more. And um, once I moved to the DC area and I have my, I moved to my current job, you know, I had my evenings free, I had weekends free and I wanted to pursue a more creative, uh, more of my creative interests again. And that started off with actually a, a blog that I had about uh, my at that time, two dogs, two pugs, and I would do um, cartoons of them and uh, kind of like funny illustrations of them. And I would, I would write little like funny stories about them. And that turned into pursuing book opportunities related to my drawings. Um, and so then I had um, the Pug Pal series, which is a chapter book series that I worked on with Scholastic. And there are two books in the series. Um, and then I originally started writing uh, because of my uh, niece and nephew, and I wanted to write stories for them. Yeah. And then um, as they grew up, I started writing books that were older and older. Sure. And uh, so at, around the time of when they were in beginning middle school is when I started uh, writing um, books um, in the, the middle grade range. And um, one of them was a spoonful of time. Hmm. Um, they were starting to age out of it a little bit, but they still enjoyed, you know, reading it. Um, and and to this day, they, they're still my early readers <laughs> for a lot of my book ideas. Um, and yeah, and then it just, I, I just, I, I found my sweet spot. I really enjoy writing middle grade um, with like little touch contemporary with a little touch of fantasy. Yeah. And um, even though they're now in high school, <laughs> I still write in the middle grade range. Um, and, you know, it's become uh, a, a passion of mine to, to you know, explore different stories and characters, um, you know, that I can write for middle grade readers. I love the the evolution of finding finding something. So, well, not finding, right? Let me even back up a bit and say. So, the theme of the detox podcast this year is is um, uh, is about all about reconnecting. So, revisiting mm-hmm. old themes, sort of revisiting old patterns, just reconnecting with something with a new perspective is sort of how mm-hmm. I interpret it. And I'm in the phase of my life where I am constantly encountering situations and scenarios where I know for certain 10, 15, maybe even only five years ago, I would have approached the situation one particular way. And I'm Mm -hmm. very much approaching it with a new set of, well, tools and resources and wisdom. Um, and, And that really helps me um, sort of progress in my personal development. And so I love when you're talking about getting to be uh, in a space where you have some free time, sort of rediscovering um, mm-hmm. this creative mm-hmm. perspective, which is which 
really fills you up in a way. And then, right. and then getting to, to write for, for, you know, a very nice audience that grows up uh, with, with the stories and you're still able to, um, to try and capture the attention and, and so I love mm-hmm. that. So, so I think that's a good segue. You mentioned a spoonful of time. So let's let's segue into that. How long had you been working on a spoonful of time before you got to um, the part where it was sort of picked up as as mm-hmm. a book that was that was definitely going to be published? So a spoonful of time has been a long time in the making. Actually, sure. um, it originally started um, with the title uh, "The Golden Orchard," and I wrote it several years ago. Um, and this is when I would, you know, go out to lunch with my mom and dad and I'd grill them about like their childhood, their favorite foods and, you know, like all sorts of things about like, you know, Korea in the past, you know, what their food memories might be. And, um, I wrote a story based off of that, that I titled the golden orchard. And first that became an audible original actually. Oh, wow. And, um, I, you know, I worked with Audible at, at that point, uh, but there wasn't a print version. And the gold, <laughs> at the time, the Golden Orchard, now a spoonful of time, I felt like the story was so close to me and to my family that I really wanted to pursue the the print rights for, for at that time, the Golden Orchard. Sure. Um, and my agent felt the same way. And so we, you know, we were, we looked around, we shopped around to, you know, to see who might want to put it in print form. And that's when we came across um, Alex Arnold at Quirk. And, um, you know, she wanted to pursue the print rights for the Golden Orchard. Uh, but she had some, you know, suggestions or like, you know, thoughts about how we could expand the book a little bit more or take it in new directions or, um, you know, um, dig deeper into characters. And so through the working with, with her, um, the Golden Orchard became a spoonful of time. And then we it, it took like a year when we went through the editing process, um, a lot of different changes, um, and a lot of different <laughs> rounds of edits. And so in total, it took several years from when I first started with just an idea to having like a spoonful of time in a print form that I could hold in my hands. Wow. It's interesting to me. I think so. First of all, thank you for sharing that. I think it's really it's always helpful to hear um, the time investment it takes to get from (laughs) conception or ideation to conception to progress to progress to finished product. In your case, with the Audible original, Mm -hmm. and then picking it back up and and revisiting it in order to get it in print. Um, Right. Right. And I'm interested in. Um, I'm interested in something that you said where you, you talked about um, it originating from uh, you going out to eat with, with your parents and sort of asking them about um, what Korea was like. And so know, uh, understanding that you are first generation um, uh, here, second, second generation, thank you for the correction. Um, <laughs> so second generation here in, in America and so mm-hmm. understanding the the desire to explore sort of the journey your ancestors took to be able to get into this country mm-hmm. and then what what that meant personally and then also mm-hmm. what it meant to to leave and then also on the third phase what it means to reconnect with a story right. like right. a spoonful of time and so that was mm-hmm. a little bit clunkier than i intended but i think the but the crux there is I really want to talk about um, your story and the the personal connection that you felt in order. Let me let me restate the ask here. I'm working through a thought, and I appreciate the <laughs> the, the patience here. Right? I think this is so. This is um when we're, we're when we're discussing in very important stories like a spoonful of time. I want to make sure that we give uh, we give the book and the story, the space it deserves to, to really shine. And so what I want to ask is how did you approach the perspective of connecting your book and your story with your, no, that's not even the way I want to say it. So I'm, I'm going to, uh, apologies here. I am struggling for the full words because I want to make sure I get it 
Right. So yep. I, I think that's fine. Yeah. I think what I'm what I'm wanting what I'm wanting to say. This is a better way to say it. Walk me through the comparison between um, your story connecting with your parents and grandparents and other ancestors and how it relates to Maya's story mm-hmm. and relating mm-hmm. with her grandma in mm-hmm. the story. And then, of course, there's some time travel that goes along with that. But walk me right. through sort of the the comparisons for you. That's really what I'm okay. getting at. Okay. No, I think... Um... You know, part of what drove me in, in writing A Spoonful of Time was um, not just the food, but <laughs> the exploration of memories and, and stories yeah. uh, that are passed down. And, you know, when I was really little, I, I loved, you know, having that connection and, uh, you know, knowing things about the past. Um, but, you know, we I grew up in a different time than we currently are in now. Sure. <laughs> so sure. I went through a period where... I didn't want to have that connection and I just wanted to fit in. And, uh, you know, I I didn't care about like a lot of that, the historical, you know, past or what my parents went through or, you know, the Korea or anything like that. And it was when I got older, once I was probably like in college or so, and, you know, in college, they encourage you to take all sorts of different kinds of classes, uh, pursue different interests. And that's when I started exploring more just Korean history, um, just in general. Um, and, you know, exploring it, you know, some things felt familiar when I would read about it and other things just seemed so foreign and different and going through that experience and then talking to my parents as an adult, when I was older, you know, I was able to ask them questions and hear their stories that I wouldn't have thought to ask, or I wouldn't have heard when I was younger. And I think, you know, part of that translates into what I wanted to do with a spoonful of time where, you know, when you're younger, you know, of course you're focused on like what's going on in your life, you know, school, friends, you know, all, all social activities. Um, and it's hard, I think, as a young kid to fully appreciate that your parents had whole lives before they had you and have all sorts of stories and secrets that they may share or may not share for good good reasons um and i wanted to have you know maya as a central character uh kind of explore and discover the fact that her family has these secrets and lives that were are beyond what she she knows um and for her to go through that discovery process and not just learn what happened but understand what happened and understand why people acted the way they did. And, you know, some of that translated, uh, some of my personal experiences translated into what I was writing, you know, nothing as monumental as what Maya goes through and no time travel. I was I was about (laughs) to ask. Yeah, no, (laughs) no time travel. Um, But, you know, hearing my parents' stories when I got older and making the connections of of little snippets I might have heard or things I might have, you know, thought and I thought wrong and I find out the real story behind it and going through that discovery process. Right. Yeah. I think that's so powerful. It, it's, it's been really incredible. I would say raising, um, raising two kids in a world in which there is, there are an incredible amount of stories that have different representation. And I remember when I was growing up, it was something that I didn't recognize how very little representation there were and very little, very, um, if there was, it wasn't quite nuanced in the way that mm-hmm. we, that we are as humans. And, right, right. And so to have the ability to provide my daughter, right, as an example of, you know, a spoonful of time and, and see her, you know, devour the book um, metaphorically, though, if you make some <laughs> of the recipes, right, perhaps it becomes literally um, and just really light up and ask questions and get excited. And what does it mean to leave your country? What does it mean to, to, Mm -hmm. to immigrate to another country? What does that mean? Like it gives, 
I think from my perspective, it opens the door to a lot of conversations that need to be had at such mm-hmm. an early age that it mm-hmm. increases our capacity for, for kindness and understanding. Um, mm-hmm. And then from a different community perspective, it allows folks to feel very seen and recognized mm-hmm. yeah. and mm-hmm. have space to exist and then also be able to ask questions of their relatives and talk about what, what things were like in, in whatever country that, that they, that they, that their ancestors came over from, if that's right. Nice. So I, I love that this book exists. And I want to, I want to ask you, I know we talked a little bit about, about the, the adaptation uh, from the golden orchard into a spoonful of time. Mm-hmm. Um, was there a particular reason why you felt that this book was, was um, relevant for right now? Um, I think, you know, it's, I, I thought I, it's interesting what you had mentioned before of, of how, you know, cause we grew up in different times. Right. And, you know, for me growing up, I didn't, sometimes I, I, I don't think I even realized what I was missing at right. that time because that's all I knew. And, you know, when, when I first started writing the gold, the golden orchard, um, I, I thought about whether or not to write like a story with a character uh, that's not so culturally based sure. and that could might appeal to a wider audience. Um, but I, I really wanted to write a story with a character that I could identify with and sure. that younger me could have identified with. And also I, I, I was just seeing so many books come out, you know, with these different voices and different stories coming out and, you know, how, awesome that is to see that and for kids to have that wide array of books to choose from and different worlds to to enter into right and so for me the golden orchard um and now a spoonful of time felt very close to me personally in terms of the the culture that 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 it take that is involved the family values that are involved and um identity issues that are involved and I felt like a lot of this would be very apt for someone who is you know a a preteen or a tween who is going through these kind of questions identities and and is getting introduced to these different cultures and worlds um, and identities and especially I feel like now where there's just there's so many different options out there you know I wanted to kind of you know, add my voice into that and, um, you know, join, join that selection, uh, uh, of, of voices that are introducing a new culture, uh, exploring new stories and hopefully, you know, broadening someone's horizons as they're reading or having something out there that, as you said, like someone could identify with yeah. and, you know, they have, they can make that connection with, with the book because they feel seen. Yeah. So I thought, you know, especially nowadays where it's much more accepted to be, have more, more diverse voices. Yeah. I really wanted uh, to, to pursue a, the Golden Orchard or a Spoonful of Time yeah. um, and, and, and see it put out in the world. <laughs> yeah. I, that's so powerful. It, it is, it's needed. And I think, you know, there's, there, uh, I, <laughs> I will say, as incredible as our conversations are, it it is frustrating that at times, and um, I don't know whenever people will be listening to this right now, we're recording in in June 2023, um, there are people who are working, it feels just as hard to try and remove some of those perspectives, which is very disappointing, Mm -hmm. disheartening, frustrating. Those are not strong enough words, but it is the words that I will use for the purposes of this show. Um, and so I think therein is the, the impetus to have even more stories to, mm-hmm. to have mm-hmm. out there. So folks can feel that there is always a story for them, um, mm-hmm. for them to feel seen, uh, for them to learn about others that need to be seen, um, and to help create that mm-hmm. more inclusive mm-hmm. space and more inclusive world. I, all right, I, I've got to, I've, I've held off long enough, but I've got to, let's talk about <laughs> some food. Um, all right, <laughs> I'm I, ready. I want to know, first of all, 
where was where did you get the idea to to put the recipes in the book directly? Where did that idea come from? So actually, I can't take full credit for that <laughs> because it was suggested by my editor. <laughs> she she noted, you know, like you have all these stories that are centered, you know, the the chapters are centered around these foods, you know, it. Oh. Yes. The, the natural progression would be to have the recipes in there as well. And as soon as she said that, I thought, oh, of course, like <laughs> that, that's a genius idea. Right, right. Um, and, you know, it's also it was also very simple because so many of the recipes are recipes that, you know, I like my my mom has cooked for me or I did like I had to do research online to, to find out because I, I might have eaten. I might not have cooked it, but I've eaten it a lot of times. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> so it, it just kind of naturally came about. And then once we decided to put the recipes in, you know, because so many of the crucial plot points revolve around certain rest, certain recipes or the cooking of certain items, it there was just natural breaks in the story where yes. it, it made sense to insert um, insert the recipes. I have a challenge for anybody that is listening to this that picks up a spoonful of time and book. And I would encourage you, one, uh, you can certainly read it yourself. If you've got kids, I think it's a great activity, a great summer activity to read with your kids. And then where there is a break uh, with a recipe, um, make it uh, and then enjoy it and have conversation about what you're learning um, or maybe share some family stories with your kiddos and then have a real bonding time and then come back to the book and, and read on more. But I have to say, I mean, right off the bat, you've got Pat, Pat Bing Su. Uh, I think that's the correct pronunciation. And I was, um, uh, like Maya, very confused about the idea of red beans uh, being in a, <laughs> in a frozen, almost ice cream-like treat. Oh, yeah. but the, the, the descriptions of the, the fruit and the sweet cream and the rice cubes. Was, oh, I was like, I got to make this. So that is that is my plan to make it. And then later we've got um, I'm trying to uh, cook. Um, yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was just staring at this for way too long and I'm like, it's late. But is it too late that I can't <laughs> fire this up? Mm. And I ultimately didn't have all the ingredients at the time. But rest assured, it is on my short list for the store. But I would, I just, I, I think that it's such an incredible communal opportunity to really have uh, bonding time reading the book, bonding time making the food, bonding time eating and conversing over the food, and then bonding time continuing to share stories. And I feel in a way it accomplishes the goal. This was at least my perspective, and I'll welcome your thoughts as well. It feels like it accomplishes the goal of the book, which is to have a younger generation individual getting to bond with an older generation over the course of making and eating food. And one of the things that I'm passionate about, and I've shared on this podcast before is the act of sitting and sharing a meal together is what can mm -hmm. bring us closer together because we're conversing and we're sharing stories. And I feel like the book not only talks about doing it, it literally does it by providing the recipes within the book. So, so how are your thoughts on the whole encompassing of, of the book, bringing people together in that communal way? Yeah, no, I think, um, it, it, it was definitely a, a goal of mine in, in writing the book to, to kind of convey that feeling because so much of Korean food and Korean culture is about the, the communal activity, the, the group nature of the activity. Um, you know, with, with the food even, Koreans just will, will share everything that's on the table in front of them. There's no, uh, like, you know, you might have your own dish for something uh, depending on what the food is, but a lot of times it's just, the food that's out on the table, everyone shares it, you're passing around dishes to each other. And it, it is a very much of a, a group activity. And um, I think also with, with the cooking aspect of it too, because so much is, there's, nowadays there's so many Korean recipe books, but that's not traditionally how it has been, how it has been in the past. A lot of it has been passed down orally. Um, and a lot of it is not specific 
um, measurements or ingredients, um, mm. but more about the feel of it. Like even sure. getting these recipes and having to work with my mom on them, I'd ask her, I'd say like, well, how much salt do you add? And she'd be like, oh, you know, enough so that it tastes good. I'm like, well, what does that make? <laughs> Can I measure <laughs> that real quick? Yeah. Right? And she's like, oh, just put it in a spoonful. I'm like, what does a spoonful mean? Right. So a little so, spoonful is big. Yeah. Right. right. Small spoonful, big spoonful. Um, so, you know, a lot of it is, you know, even just learning cooking is it is a, a communal activity as well. And a lot of back and forth of, you know, how much do I put in? What do I do next? Cause there isn't actually a written recipe that you follow. Sure. Um, so both the cooking and the eating aspect is very much of a, a, a kind of a group activity. And I wanted to convey that in a spoonful of time because um, so much of what Maya learns isn't what she learns on her own. It's what she learns when she's cooking with her grandmother right? and she's eating these meals with her grandmother. And I wanted to have that conveyed both just in terms of the actual learning of information and stories themselves and also the act of cooking and eating. Sure. Um, so I, I, I kind of wanted that parallelism with, with, the, with those. I like that. I like it. Mm-hmm. I, I, um, I want to ask about the decision to to implement a time travel component. I'm a sucker for a time travel story. I'll just <laughs> throw that out there, right? And then the ability to uh, transport through food. I'm like, all right, so you've got delicious food and you're time <laughs> traveling. Like, get out of here. This is a recipe, a literal recipe for success. So what, what made you kind of decide, obviously you're writing this book and you're writing the book about, uh, about Maya and, and about the themes and topics we've covered, but where did the time travel component come from? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm also a sucker for a good time travel story. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> I'm also, excellent. I'm also a stickler for time travel rules, Sure. which I kind of bend a little bit here. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. like, I, I hide things at first that come get revealed later, but the real reason why I, I, I came across this idea of, you know, uh, traveling through the memories of food was um, mo- mostly from because of my dad, because uh, whenever we would eat an, something and it, it could have been something as simple as like ice cream or yeah. something more complicated, like a traditional Korean dish. He always had a story to go with it. And mm. it didn't matter if he had told it to us at one point or another. We would hear it again each time he ate it. And the way that he would talk about it, it was as though he was experiencing it again mm. as he was eating it and telling us a story. And so I always thought about the strong – and I kind of had the same same thing as him where when I eat something or if I smell a, a certain food, it, it brings me back to right. s- certain memories. And – I remember thinking about that and thinking, well, wouldn't it be interesting if we took it a step further and you actually could travel back? And, but also at the same time, the memories we have when we eat or we smell food and we taste food is going back to a certain memory where we, you know, where we think back on that past memory. Right. And so when I thought about the time travel, I didn't want it to be real time travel necessarily because I don't want you know, her, like Maya to eat something with her, with her grandmother, they travel back in time and they interact with the people at that time. Cause that's not how food memory works, sure. at least for me. I wanted it to be more of a, you know, this is a memory tied to this food that we're experiencing. We're going to witness what that, what that memory is yeah. and how it ties to this food. Yeah. And you kind of learn from that experience yeah. as opposed to actually really interacting with that experience or trying to change it in, right. in that sense. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't need Maya going back and playing Johnny V. Good for an entire high school auditorium of people. And, 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 you know, no, it's a little back to the future humor uh, for folks um, there, but no, I, I, exactly. I love it's poignant. That's, that's what I loved about it is the, the act of sitting, consuming the food, and time traveling to sort of see the almost, if not the origins, at least the most profound memory associated right, right. with the food. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's, it's very, it, it made me tear up a bit, right? Like there are uh, the, just the idea of, of reconnecting 
with another part of our family's lives um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then getting to come back with that knowledge to help mm-hmm. inform where you're at in, in this day and age is, is incredibly powerful. And, and I love, I loved uh, Maya's journeys to continue mm-hmm. to learn more. Um, now I got to ask, do you have a particular favorite recipe that you added in the book? Um, ooh, so it, it depends. They're different. I, it's different from saying what my favorite food is, Fair. Uh, but my favorite recipe yeah. is probably, um, hot dog, okay. which is the, the sweet pastry um, yeah, yeah, kind yeah. of um, dish because that's one of the few dishes that I've made myself <laughs> and it took a lot of effort and trial and uh, trial and error. Um, and this was way before even I, I was thinking about the book. Yeah. Um, and it was just one recipe that I like to make, um, especially like on a cold winter day. Yeah. And it, I, it also is just such a, it, it's so closely tied to a feeling of, uh, you know, eating this like warm and hot, um, like kind of pastry, like, you know, di- um, di- dish on a cold wintry day. And then when I went to Korea recently, um, I've always gone when it's been hot. And so yeah. the last time I went was when it was cool. And we were able to actually like go to a street market, street, uh, street food market and get it and eat it when it was like cold outside. And it's like Ooh. piping hot and warm. <laughs> and so I think for right now, at least that's my favorite recipe from the book. Uh, I am hungry, and now I have on my bucket list, go to Korea when it's cold so I can yes. get uh, one of those uh, from the from the street market and consume it while being absolutely cold and then being warmed on the inside from the sweet yes, exactly. pastry. That is, exactly. I mean, that's the, that's the dream. That is the dream. I love it. Um, right. Excellent. So I, I, I want to ask you as we're starting to, to wrap up, mm-hmm. I want to ask you uh, sort of two questions. Let me start by saying, what do you want readers to walk away with after having read A Spoonful of Time? That's a really good question. Um, I I think that I want readers to walk away feeling like they've read a good story and have been entertained. But at the same time, I want them to come away with a feeling of you know, feeling the importance of family and friends and understanding them or or accepting them when you might not necessarily understand them at the time. Um, because as, as shown in The Spoonful of Time, everyone has their own stories and everyone has their own secrets. And there are reasons for why people might or might not reveal the things that they do at the times that they do. And I want people to have a sense of um, compassion and understanding when it comes to that um, and, and really feeling the importance of, of the connections that they have with their loved ones, whether it's your actual family, found family, friends, you know, anything along those lines. Yeah, I love that. And the last question I want to ask you is what advice do you have for, uh, maybe, uh, aspiring authors? I think, huh? I, I think probably <laughs> the best advice I can give, and it's, it's not one that I like, cause I, I don't like hearing it either is the best thing you can do is to finish whatever you're doing. Mm. Even if you hate it, even if it's not great or you think, oh, there's so many holes or you have gaps where you wrote like, finish this part of the story here or finish this dialogue here. I know because when I was younger and I would write those stories and do those illustrations and I'd have notebooks full of stories that went up to like chapter five (laughs) and it would just stop. And even now it's a struggle for me to finish like the first draft of anything. And it's always easier to work with something Mm -hmm. than to have nothing to, to work with at all. So I think the most important thing that I could say, and I I say this for myself all the time when I'm struggling is just finish it. (laughs) It doesn't have to be great. It's not going to be, you know, your best piece of work at, at the time when you first finish it, 
But when you have something down, you have first off that sense of accomplishment that you've done something and that, you know, there's a product that you've put forth out there with a beginning and an end. And also it's just, it's so much easier to work with an actual work product yeah. um, than to have, than just be staring at a blank page, which is, is the worst thing to have to do. Right. <laughs> uh, focus and finish. Uh, I have yes. to, that's one of my, one of my things I say to myself all the time, focus and finish. Because it is so easy to, to uh, there's something new and shiny <laughs> over here, right? This is exciting. I'm a little, if we're talking about book format, right? I'm a little tired of these characters. They've been in my head for right. a while. I'm, I'm ready to move on to, to, to Flora and Joe, right? I'm ready to explore what's <laughs> going on with them. I'm, I'm a little tired of these folks over here. But I agree with you wholeheartedly by getting something finished it then gives you the ability to have the sense of accomplishment and then also be able to revisit it, right? We're talking about revisiting, reconnections, um, and have the perspective of a full finished, in this case, book or right. draft, right. and then be able to enhance or revise or adjust. And it's a different type of mindset and project. I think we get so, we as humans, get so stuck in, I've got to make it great, or I've got to do it this way, or I've got to do it that way because of what we see from people that mm -hmm. are putting stuff out, right? Um, I think we're in a wave of imposter syndrome uh, in a lot of yeah, a lot yeah. of cases. But to your point, mm -hmm. getting it out there, getting yourself the ability to feel the sense of accomplishment and start working on it, that's what we need to do. That's incredible. That's great advice we can all use. So Flora, thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for sharing about the book, Spoonful of Time. Where can people pick, uh, where would you recommend people go to pick up a copy or 10? for themselves and their closest <laughs> friends. That was a rhyme. It's about that time. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. Um, but what's the best place for them to go pick up a copy of your book? Um, I always encourage people to go to their local independent bookstore um, because, you know, it's so important to support your, uh, the local independent bookstores. Um, and a lot of times, you know, the owners there, they spend so much time curating their selections there. Uh, but also, even if you don't see it there, you can ask them and they'll order it for you. Um, you can also find it at um, probably your local library, or you can ask your librarians uh, for to, to get them transferred from other branches or to have them ordered. Um, and then, you know, if I understand that not everyone has a local independent bookstore that they can support. Right. Um, you, yeah, you can find it, you know, at... Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Target, sure. um, any major retailer um, online, at least. So. Excellent. Well, we've got links in the show notes. So if you are listening to this on your podcast player of choice and you just scroll down, there should be a link and you can click it and then you'll be good to go. Um, all right. Well, we are going to transition to the final segment of the show, which is things to check out. It's a segment where I provide uh, a recommendation of something to read, watch, and or listen to. And I invite my guests to do the same. So I'll go first. Um, a recommendation for something to watch. I actually literally just saw this with my kids um, well, like within the last 24 hours. Um Pixar's Elemental. Um, oh, okay. I actually recommend that quite a bit. I was not mm -hmm. sure what to expect. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was a little uncertain of the story um, by watching the trailer um, when we went to go see Spider-Man, um, the latest Spider-Verse movie. I forget. I always get it wrong which which one it is, but it's the second one. <laughs> There's um, so many. I, I know. But uh, um, that one is incredible. I recommend that one as well. But, but Elemental, it's a story about um and this isn't giving anything away because it's in the very beginning of the movie and it's alluded to in the trailer um but uh, a, a group of fire folks uh have to leave their their land for whatever reason and immigrate into um elemental city and and try and exist with uh, the different elements who created a world and a city that it was not designed for their particular type of element and so it, it's about a, a girl who's growing up um, in this new area and learning from her family and the community about how they existed in, in their old um, space and then how to exist in this new space. So it's it actually uh -huh. introduced a lot of really great conversations that uh -huh. also uh, the themes from A Spoonful of Time opened up as well. So I think it's if, if you're a parent that is looking for a way to start some of the conversations around um, immigration and around um, sort of uh, forming new communities in in America if you, if they've got 
um, school school friends or you've got other people in your life um, that your kids are, are curious about, this might be a good way to start the dialogue to more expansive conversations. So that's a recommendation. Um, now, something to read, I got to recommend um, uh, good friend uh, Stephen Lee, who's been on the podcast, uh, who wrote K-Pop uh, Confidential and K-Pop Revolution. Uh, his books are incredible as well. Um, and something that uh, we got into on the episode was talking about um, the sort of what feels like uh, from an American perspective, the explosion of Korean media uh, across the the music, movie, TV show. At the time, Squid Game had just released on Netflix, so we were talking about mm -hmm. that. And and he had a really good uh, perspective in talking about that. Um, Korea's export is entertainment, and this had been in the works forever. It's just now starting to catch the attention of a lot of people in in America and other Western uh, countries from the perspective of shows like Squid Game and, and K-pop groups like BTS. Um, so that was a really good conversation. So I recommend uh, checking out his books, K-pop Confidential and K-pop Revolution. After, of course, you've bought 20 to 30 copies of Spoonful of Time. I'm just going to keep upping, upping the number, right? Because um, that's what we do here. And then something to listen to. Um, you know, I am uh, going to go ahead and recommend that folks actually uh, check out uh, a couple different podcast episodes I've done with with folks before. So obviously Stephen Lee's uh, podcast I did here, and then uh, I recommend I did an episode with Katie Yamasaki last year uh, about uh, her grandfather, who is an architect uh, called Shapes and Lines. So that's a good episode. And I think I bring this up because if you're listening to this and you're like, this is a great conversation, I want to listen to more authors talking about representation in media and how I can start having inclusive conversations with my kids. Those are some good episodes uh, I recommend. So those are my things to check out uh flora what are what is something to watch read and or listen to for folks um so for watch i guess well what you mentioned kind of reminded me of this and i've been going through my rewatch of this uh the last airbender uh the uh, series yes um yes. not the movie no no, no. <laughs> not the movie. nope <laughs> the, the original, original series, series. Yeah. yeah yes it's just it's such an amazing story there's such amazing characters yeah and you know it, it touches upon everything from like family duty obligation war like friendships um yeah i i, I never get tired of, of, of the last airbender uh series yeah, right <laughs> um then read um i I, I don't know if I have a recommendation right now because I've been kind of in a reading slump actually. Um, but I am reading right now a book called The Apology by Jimin Han. Mm. And it's interesting because it's told from the perspective of an elderly Korean woman who has passed away. And oh. the chapter starts with her death. And you kind of go back and you, you know, you're learning more about her past her regrets and the things that have happened um, through the cor course of the book. So that's what I'm currently reading um, right now. Um, and then to listen, I have to confess that I am a BTS fan. So you are in good company. Uh, my my son, who is six, discovered them uh, when he turned five, and I feel is a is a Oh, well, he's part of army, right? Is, is what I would say, <laughs> right. right? So people, if you if you know, you know, and you know, yeah. if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I found them during the, the early days of the pandemic, and <laughs> their music and their content got me through the toughest times. Yeah. So I would have to recommend that people listen to BTS, and especially their latest song, Take Two. Oh, yes, <laughs> absolutely. And I, I, I want to yes and that and say if you haven't checked out their tiny desk concert that they did during the pandemic yes you absolutely have especially if you've only heard sort of the um pretty produced sounding albums yeah. and singles it's i love getting to hear artists a bit stripped down and a bit yes. more um softer or acoustic or just that intimate setting because you really get yeah. to hear the talents shine um, yeah, in a way that yeah. you don't when it's on stage. Both are great. It's just they both have different different places. But right. yeah, the Tiny right. Desk concert. And I read that they were able to do that because of the pandemic, because they weren't touring all over the place. Um, right. And so they right. uh, apparently NPR had asked them to do one a while ago, and obviously they didn't have the capacity. 
but then when they weren't going anywhere, they sent a crew or they hired a crew local. They recorded it in a in a stu in a record shop or an office uh, within Korea, and then um, mm -hmm. brought it back mm -hmm. to the channel. So yes, absolutely, BTS Army. If you know, you know. So. <laughs> I love it. Well, Flora, if people want to follow you and see what you're up to, what's the best way for them to do that? So I'm pretty active on social media, um, on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is Funaic, F-U-N-A-E-K. Um, and I have a Facebook page that is called Bah Humbug. So like <laughs> Bah Humbug, but with a pug in it instead. I love that. Yeah, that, that's actually the name of my, my blog as well, uh, which I haven't been as active on recently. Um, so I'm, I'm mostly active on, on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so yeah, so people can find me there. Very nice. Well, I know I will go follow right away. Uh, I appreciate it. Flora, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And you are welcome back anytime. You don't even have to have written a book. If you just want to come and talk about life, you're always welcome. So I appreciate it. Thank you so much. I had a really great time talking with you. Uh, well, listeners, you've been detoxing with detox. Now go and make a more inclusive world. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at detoxpodcast or visit detoxpodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com.